Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Asatyam apratishtam te jagadahura nishvaram Aparaspara sambhutam kimanyat kama haitukam They say that this world is unreal, that there is no foundation and that there is no God in control. It is produced of sex desire and has no cause other than lust. Yesterday and today we were discussing a little bit about relativism. Your name, I remembered it once and I forgot again. Vasilios is studying philosophy at which? Rutgers. Rutgers. University, is it? In New Jersey. So he's studying theology and philosophy. And his professor is a confirmed relativist, as modern philosophy is all relativistic. They don't even, they consider anything not relativistic not to be philosophy. They consider it simply dogmatic. They say that these asatyama uh, pratishtante, what do they say? What do the relativists relativistic people say. It's, we can analyze according to this verse of Bhagavad Gita, which was spoken by Lord Krishna 5,000 years ago, long before all these various philosophies had come up, and even millions of years before. Of course, people in the modern world don't believe that there was intelligent life more than a few thousand years ago. And they don't believe that there's intelligent life west of Los Angeles or east of Baltimore or uh, maybe in Hawaii also. But uh, these kind of theories are nothing new. Lord Krishna says here that those who are of demoniac nature they say, asatyam, there is no actual truth. Now, Bhagavad Gita is commented on by Shankaracharya, who praises Bhagavad Gita so much. But then his philosophy is Brahma Satyam Jagan Mitya, that spirit is real. But this world is false. Now here, in this verse of Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna says, Asatyam apratishtamte jagad ahura nishwaram. So here, the noun is jagat. And the adjectives are asatyam apratishtam anishwaram. That the world is not real, it has no ultimate basis and that there is no 
it, there is no supreme controller over it. So how Shankaracharya juggles Bhagavad Gita to mean that to, to fit with his philosophy, not Bhagavad Gita philosophy, but his philosophy, Jagan Mitya. Well, it's here Krishna says that those who say that Jagat, the world, is Asatya, which is a synonym of Mitya, of false, anyone who says like that is falls under the category of the demoniac. Now, this may be understood in another way also, that asatyam apratishtamte, that there is no ultimate truth. There is no ultimate basis of anything. Now, persons who say this, according to Lord Krishna, which means according to fact, if we are to accept at all the Vedic knowledge, uh, such persons are demoniac, but the modern relativism, there are various reasons why it has come up, and it's considered almost sacred by relativists, although if there were to be actual relativists, then nothing would be sacred, because everything's relative. That relativist means one who thinks that there's no, there's no ultimate values. Everything is, depends. What is true in one circumstance is not true in another circumstance. And or what is correct in one circumstance is not correct in another circumstance. And so there's no ultimate principle. And any, opi any opinion is as good as another. Now, to some extent that's true. In the material world, circumstances dictate or influence what is proper and what is not proper. There's, I've told this story so many times, I'll tell it again briefly, because it's so instructive to the moralist that Lord Krishna told this story that one man took a vow never to tell an untruth. He took a vow and he was a brahmana, never to tell an untruth. So he lived in at the edge of a village next to a forest. And one day, a man came running up saying, I'm carrying a lot of money. Some thieves are chasing me. Where can I hide? So the man pointed to, you just hide in the woods there. And a few minutes later, a gang of robbers ran up and said, did you see someone running past Jay said, yes. He said, he's carrying a lot of money. We want to catch him and kill him and take his money. Do you know where he is? He said, yes. Where is he? He's over there. So they went and killed him and took his money. So throughout his life, he maintained his vow of ne never telling a lie. But when he died, he went to hell. He thought that I, should, I, I followed a vow and I never told a lie. Therefore, I'm very pious. But by not telling a lie in that circumstance, he became implicated in murder in the sin of murder. So, taking a vow, is a, taking a religious vow is a very serious thing. And to tell the truth is also, obviously, it's a, it's a very, it's a, 
required quality in a human being. If one is untruthful, if one is mm, addicted to untruth, or if, if one is constantly tells lies, is cheating for his own self-interest, it's, that is immoral. Wrong. But in this instance, to have maintained it, even if he had maintained that vow for many years, in that instance, to, main, to not break his vow and to not tell a lie, he'd have said, no, I, I didn't or he'd say, he went that way and pointed in the other direction. That would have been better. So, actually, even if he'd have broken his vow, from the point of view of taking vows, it wouldn't have been broken anyway. Because a vow is not... If one breaks a vow or does anything for a higher purpose, then that is acceptable. But this shows how, in this material world, concepts of right and wrong, they're always relative to the circumstance. So, um, it is, there is relativism. This world is, is the relative world. And one reason this relativism has come up, of course, there's a long history, but um, in the 20th century, <coughs> dogmatic adherence to uh, certain inhuman or anti-human theories resulted in Hitler, or Hitler was, by promoting the what he promoted as an absolute principle, Germans are superior, Jews, gypsies, homosexuals require to be killed, and we're a superior race, therefore we require to conquer all the lands around us. Because of dogmatic adherence to this doctrine, and because of intolerance of others, because of lack of respect for others, so many people were killed. And again, Stalin killed more people than Hitler. He was killing his own, his own people also. Those that didn't agree. And then again, this, uh, probably worse than all of them, in, this Pol Pot in Kampuchea. He, he wiped out about 30% of the population of his country. Only a small population. More than a million people in, in a country of less than 4 million because of Dogmatic, dogmatic adherence to fanatical adherence to doctrine. So, absolutism or belief that we have got the truth and everything else is wrong and we are right and anyone who doesn't agree with that is wrong and they deserve to be killed. So, this absolute sway over others due to some wrong philosophy is uh, it's profoundly influenced the way of thinking of the world's people. So, 
now they want to have multiculturalism and everything. We appreciate all different cultures and philosophies and all different opinions are the same. It's an attempt to bring in harmony. That attempt was brought in in the late 19th century in the field of Hinduism where there are so many different opinions and the supposed Paramahamsa, Ramakrishna, brought out the theory Jotomat Actually, not only within Hinduism, but there are so many between Hinduism and Islam. There was so much strife, regular riots, and also uh, it was an attempt to that. Yeah, all theories are we should respect them all, and they're all good, and they all go to the same goal. Jotomat Totopat. All paths lead to the same goal. So these are attempts to harmonize opinions and beliefs and uh, differing outlooks so that we can all live peacefully together. There's no, no one theory, the idea is that no one theory is correct, nor is it possible to say that anything is fully correct because there's no ultimate principle. But Lord Krishna states here, that by denying any ultimate principle, they become demoniac. And then they put their theory as the ultimate principle. You can't avoid... You may say that we accept all opinions as the same, but you can't avoid having uh, considering some opinion superior to others. If you have the opinion that all opinions should be respected then you become very upset when someone says, no, we don't agree that all opinions should be, should be respected. And we actually see that. The people who are supposed to be very liberal and open-minded, if you, if you don't agree with them, they, be, they become you know, terrible. If you don't agree that everyone's opinion should be heard, they become furious and, and they try, try to put you down. Democracy, this is the idea. Everyone's opinion is equal... Why should it be equal? If there's some someone who's well-educated and understands the political issues at stake, their vote should be more valuable than one who votes just because you know they like the they like the smile on the president's fa- on the, the the candidate's face. Yeah. Why should that actually happen? They they reckon that in the uh, I think it was what 60, 1963. They, they, it was recognized that the, the very close presidential race between Kennedy and Nixon, Nixon came later, it was won because they reckoned on the, on the last day, Nixon didn't, he was so busy, he, didn't, he needed to shave twice a day, otherwise little stubble came up. And in those days, little stubble wasn't considered very fashionable, so it, was, it should be clean-shaven. So that little bit of stubble, because he didn't shave twice on the day that came on the TV, and between that and the uh, women liking Kennedy, who was more good-looking and uh, you know more smooth, they reckon that got him the votes. And nothing to do with any of the issues at stake, just the impression, the impression of the TV. And then later on, we had a, 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 an actor come up as the president because he's a good actor. <laughs> So it's, why should the votes of people whose uh, vote is based on 
the, the, the smile of the candidate rather than his policies, why should that be the same as one who's actually studied the situation and is making what should be considered an intelligent choice? So, there's an example how it, it shouldn't, it, it's incorrect to say that all people are equal, everything is all the same, but everyone's opinion is as good as anyone else's. Why should it be? If, if, the, if uh, there's, a, there's some problem in the plumbing here, and I give my opinion, should that be, I don't know anything about plumbing, should that be considered as good as some, a, 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 30, a plumber of 30 years' experience? Obviously not. There are specialists in every field. But then why, when we come to the field of religion or philosophy, all of a sudden, then everything is all the same. And everyone's opinion is as good as anyone else. This is called foolishness. You can't say that was my opinion. My opinion is as good as anyone. In my opinion, your opinion is rubbish. So if if any if all opinions are as good as any other, then you have to accept. They were well. We accept your right to say that it's rubbish. No, but you should accept. If you say that all opinions are the same, then you should accept not only the right to say that it's rubbish, but actually accept that it's rubbish. It's untenable. This, it's untenable. And if you say all opinions are the same, then uh, then you have to say that some one person's opinion is that meat is good for health, and someone else's opinion is meat is bad for health, and you have to accept both of them. But you can't accept both of them because they're contradictory. So relativism is self-defeating. Or that well-known conundrum. Someone says, I don't believe in anything. So you have to ask the person, do you believe what you just said? <laughs> and he's caught. If he says, yes, I believe in what I just said, then he believes in something. If he doesn't believe in what he just said, then he's again, he's defeated. So, the idea that there is no absolute principle, we we can't, they can't find anything, and so they say, well, ultimately there's no absolute principle. But this is, again, foolishness. They say the world has come into being by chance, but why then are you studying? If it's simply all chance, then why are you so busy studying the laws of nature, the laws of physics? How can you think that it all came? It's so complex so ordered. And how can you say it comes into being by, everything comes into being by chance? How much did this cost? Anyone like to guess? Guesses, guesses. All opinions are as good as each other. $130. dollars who said that? Well, you're wrong. Actually, <laughs> what happened, there was a pile of garbage in the back of a yard where I was staying, and one day there was a big storm and all the things blew together, and it came like this. Yeah, absolutely free. Just came together, all the thrown out tin cans, 
and some thrown out plastic and this and that, they all came together like this. Makes sense, doesn't it? Does anyone believe that? No. Okay, good. Well, if there are enough storms and enough garbage, it could happen one time, couldn't it? Think so? No. And even then, even if it were to happen, which it couldn't happen actually, it's too complex. Any, if there's a little wire just in the wrong place, it's not going to work. If it's not designed, if it's not exactly as it's done, if it's not exactly according to the design, then it's not going to work. But even if you say that it came into being by chance, then who put the garbage there? Where did the ingredients come from? And how did the storm come about? So the idea that everything has come into chance, come into being by chance, it doesn't make any sense. And it makes less sense on the, on the cosmic scale Obviously, if it can't, if we can't accept it on the on the micro scale, then how can we accept it on the macro scale? If a little thing can't, we can't accept it came into being by chance. Here's another thing: this came into being by chance. This little thing. This is a lot more simple than this, isn't it? It's very simple, and there's so many. I don't know what's in here: some wires and some transistors, and who knows what? What's in there? Some hard drive thing must be yeah must be this is very simple but even this there's so much design and so much intelligence went into making this who uh, someone discovered steel and then different varieties of steel what kind of steel is suitable for this kind of container and uh, how to find and extract iron ore what what is what kind of sources of iron ore are economic or economic viable to mine and then uh, yeah just getting exactly the right kind of steel and it's not very thick and just the right thickness so you don't want it too thick because what's the point and just cost more and and it's heavier you don't want it too thin so when you pick it up it just kind of crushes and this you see the lid goes on very nicely it's not too tight you can lift it off easily but it's not too loose that it just falls off. Yeah, even the water doesn't come out. Pretty good, huh? There's water in there. So it's very well designed. And then someone manufactured this for profit and they had to calculate, is it viable to make this for profit? And then shipping it to to wholesalers and then to retailers. And so much intelligence went into designing, producing, and and, uh, marketing this and how could how could it come into being by chance if the formula is even slightly wrong then after a few days of putting water it'll rust but I've had this for a few years it's not rusted it's good quality stainless steel so how can anyone think that this whole universe came into being by chance it doesn't make any sense although we can attempt to give theories and in the modern world, we find that it's, it's, if you look at any encyclopedia, they, they talk as if it's a fact that the world has come into to being by chance, and they, they talk about different 
ages of man, the Neanderthal period and all this ice age, and they talk as if they knew it for a fact. But there's no actual proof. And it's, it's based on a th theory, that's all, that everything, the world came into being by chance, life came into being by chance, although they can't even define what life is exactly by any biological or so-called scientific means. And uh, if they're so scientific and they have so much brilliant brains and they have so much billions of dollars in research grants, then why can't they produce it? They say life is, is a product of chemicals. Then why don't they produce... There's a little fly buzzing around. How about producing a fly? Could you do that, Mr. Scientist? With all your research grants? They can't, they, don't, they can't even understand how a fly flies. They can't... If they get, I mean, if they really understood, they should be able to make airplanes that run without fuel, right? I mean, the, the fly doesn't, you don't have to put in gas into a fly. The fly flies around, it just needs a little, you know, someone passes out the other side. And, uh, of course, here in America, everything's very uh, hygienic. But in many countries, people just go and do their self-cleansing, daily self-cleansing process in a field. So, flies come. They get their fuel. How about making milk, Mr. Scientist? Why, you know, all the trouble to keep a cow? Why don't you just get some grass, put it in a machine, and take milk out the other side? It'd be a good idea, huh? They can't do it. So it's a lot of talk. But it's actually intelligent to accept that there should be some designer. There should be and and why does this world exist? If you see anything, there's a purpose, right? This was manufactured in a factory. It has a specific purpose for uh Recording, playing back, and storing sound files. And you can also store all kinds of files on it. So it has specific purpose or purposes. It's all right, the fly is not so disturbing. Prabhupada said that flies are meant to disturb. That's its purpose in nature, to disturb us. What they get from flying around and crawling in your nose, I don't know, but... They seem to like it. This was made with a specific purpose. You don't make anything without a purpose. If you invent something, someone invents something, you go to an inventor's fair, and you see there's some machine with pulleys, and lights are blinking, and it, every so often it makes a little noise, and the judges come around and say, hey, that looks like a really interesting machine. What does it do? What's the purpose? You say, no purpose. It's just, you know, the, the pulleys go around and it makes noises and lights blink on and off. You say, well, what's the, 
Now, what a stupid machine. What's what's the use? It's all right. If you do that, you'll be more of a disturbance <laughs> to everyone else. So better I be, I appreciate, but better I be a little disturbed than I also be disturbed because then I can't think. I can't, I mean, I'm not thinking very well anyway, but by the grace of Krishna, we have to say something. So, mm, there should be some purpose. There's, there's, we see that there is order in nature. Of course, there are some modern theories, chaos theories, this and that. But even to study chaos, they have to study in an ordered way. If, if, we, if we have a disordered brain or disordered way of thinking, that is called madness. So even to study chaos, they have to study in an, in an ordered way. So there's, if there's design, uh, if there's order, then there should be design. And if there's order and design, then there should be purpose. It's not a difficult thing to understand. But those who are demoniac, they reject this. They say there's no ultimate purpose. There's no ultimate truth. Any opinion is as good as any other. So they put human intelligence, they deify, actually. They say that whatever we can conclude by our own investigations, whatever we can discover, whatever theories we come up with, that is the best, that is the highest. And it's interesting when they study philosophy that uh, in the universities, they, they practically gloss over the whole vast body of philosophy that was in India long before the, the Greek philosophers, which are supposed to be the beginning of Western philosophy. <coughs> they, just, they just don't accept that. Because actually, the Vedic knowledge, or, or what we call, what's nowadays called Indian philosophy, it has a basis that there are different philosophies, theistic and atheistic, both. But the basis is the Veda, which is knowledge, that is called Aparushaya. It means that knowledge is not produced by any person. It is actually Vedic knowledge is self-evident, but it's not evident to those who are unable to perceive it. It's just like, you can't say, who invented 2 plus 2 equals 4? No one invented it. It's, it's a self-evident fact. And that is true of any fact. If a fact is a fact, it's a fact. And is no, it, it's not a theory. So, whether it's a very sim- simply perceived fact, 2 plus 2 equals 4, or whether it's something very complex, E equals MC squared, is accepted as a fact by people all over the world, although there's hardly anyone who can understand it. But if it's actually true, I can't say whether it's true or not, because I'm not a scientist, and 
they, scientists' theories change all the time. So even though it's accepted as a fact at present, it might not be in future. And that's what relativism is, because they say that, well, the knowledge that we're acquiring, it's subject to further investigation and theories may change. But sir, what is actually a fact is not subject to change. So 2 plus 2 is a, equals 4 is a fact in this relative world. Even in this relative world, there are certain facts or, or truths. Although not everything is true in all circumstances. Another interesting thing is that what is true at one level of perception or one level of understanding might not be true at a, at a higher level or a more subtle level. Just like it's easy to understand if one has you know, beginning knowledge of mathematics that there can be no square root of a negative integer. Because positive integers when multiplied together always give a positive result and, it, two, and negative integers when multiplied together also give a positive result so there cannot be a square root of a negative integer but in higher mathematics the square root of minus one is required for solving certain problems so theoretically it exists even though it's impossible to hypothesize or, or imagine how it exists. So on a lower level or, or the basic level of what seems to be axiomatic, <coughs> on a higher level, it, uh, that lower level is overridden. So knowledge and truth are complex, no doubt. And to find out what is actually the truth or what is reality or what's going on in this world has eluded man by his scientific <coughs> and philosophical endeavors. And it appears that it will elude man forever. So that's by the empiric come rationalistic method that we, we, we observe the world and we try to understand what's going on. And they can't come to any conclusion like that. And therefore they say that there is no ultimate conclusion and there is no ultimate truth. But actually this method of trying to find out the truth by one's own or by human endeavors is condemned from the very beginning in the Vedic system of acquiring knowledge in which the four defects of human beings are pointed out that Brahm-Pramad-Vipra-Lipsa-Karana-Patav that the tendency to be illusioned, the tendency to make mistakes, the tendency to cheat others and to cheat oneself and uh, imperfect senses. Because of these four defects, the endeavor to acquire full knowledge by human intelligence is from the very beginning doomed. Because we, we're in illusion. We tend to think that what is not a fact is a fact. And that happens at 
at uh, that can happen at a sinful level that we we mistake one thing to be something else mirage on the roads in the hot weather you see water up ahead but it's not water it's an illusion there was a famous incident in america in about in maybe the 1930s there was a radio broadcast of George Orwell's, it was adapted from George Orwell's book, The War of the Worlds, in which it described an invasion from other planets. And that was adapted for American radio, and they described how the aliens are invading, they're in New England. And time to time, they put in the broadcast that actually this is only a drama. But people took it seriously, and they started fleeing and panicking. They were in illusion. It was just a radio broadcast, but they took it seriously. So, Brahm, Pramad, imperfect senses. We examine the world and we think that what what we examine is correct, but so many times this we can see the senses are imperfect. I can't see what's behind that wall. I can't even see my own eyes. Or the, the sense of sight. All the senses, they're, they're incomplete. The intelligence is also incomplete. In another way that's been said, Trividha Sima, there are three kinds of limits to everything we perceive. One is space, we are limited by space, we are limited by time, and we are limited by thought, or or the ability to uh, our ability to hypothesize or conceptualize is limited by our experience or everything we've heard, everything we've thought about. Krishna is described as Ulangita Trividhasima. He is beyond these three limits. We can't imagine Krishna. We can't imagine what is beyond this material world is not possible. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. That is the great mistake of so-called rational thinkers or empiricists. Rationalism and empiricism were previously opposing doctrines, but they merged into one. So they presume that we can only accept as we can only accept the understanding of that which is within human perception and conceptualization but that the very first or the very basis of that is irrational why sh- why should we presume that all of reality is within the scope of our 
perception and conception. Why? Why should it be? That, that, again, that means we put human intelligence the highest. They think if we can't see it, then it can't exist. Or it may exist, but we can't perceive it, so it doesn't matter to us. I remember when my one sister younger to me, when she was very small, she used to put, close her eyes and say, you can't see me. She believed it. I can't see you, therefore you can't see me. So, we can't see God, therefore no God exists. This is childish. Show me God. The, the, the gauntlet is thrown down by the atheist. I show you God, but you think God has to come and dance in front of you? Bow down. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I, 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 I exist. Please allow me to exist. God doesn't have to come... If He is God, then you should go to Him. Not that He should come to you. And what makes you think that you're qualified to see God? Or that God is even perceivable by our mundane senses? Who believes in electrons? Electrons exist. Anyone? Uh Aha. You believe, okay. Show me. Show me electrons. Who believes that mind exists? Show me the mind. That which is more subtle, the more subtle anything is, the more difficult it is to, to perceive or even understand. So, spirit... And the Supreme Spirit is the most subtle. It's beyond the gross material perception. There is a method to see God. That is possible by purification of senses. Because He's pure and not gross, then if our senses become purified and not gross, then we can begin to understand Him. Atashi Krishna Namadi Nabhavet Grahyam Indriyai he cannot be perceived by gross mundane senses, but he can be perceived by purified senses. And the purificatory method is to serve him and chant his names. But those who demand, show me God, you can't show me, okay, there's no God. It's, a, it's childish, it's unreasonable. And it doesn't work. You can't see God like that. It doesn't mean He doesn't exist. Jagad Ahura Nishram. They say there is no controller. Prabhupada would so many times point out, you are controlled. You may say we are free, the land of the free. But who is free? We are not free from the laws of nature. We are not even free from the laws of the state. We are not free from the laws of nature. Some may say, I am free, but we we're not free from the aging process, for instance. However much your food is organic and fresh and you do yoga and take vitamin E tablets and all this, and still you're going to get old. You can't stop. We're controlled by time. Death, we cannot stop it. We're controlled. You can't even, you know, when someone has to run to the toilet, 
the, the restroom, we call it, to, to, you know, let out the yesterday's breakfast. You can't control it. And somebody say, I am God. We're all God. I got a damn toothache. I'm God. But got to run to the dentist. <laughs> what kind of God is that? Everyone's God. Everything's God. In Patna, in Bihar, India, one man, I was speaking to some students on the street. This was uh, almost 30 years ago. So I was speaking with them. And I was saying, Krishna is the supreme person. A man came up, he was listening, he became very upset. He was a demon. He said, how can you say Krishna is God? Everything is God. So I said, well, there were some pigs running around on the street. You don't see that in America. But people, they let their pigs out to graze on fresh stool and garbage and all the things that pigs like to eat. There were some pigs running around and say, well, do you accept that the pig is God? I said, why not? It's actually blasphemous. I said, do you accept that the, the stool, the, uh, what's an ordinary word for stool? Feces of the pig. That's also God? Why not? I said, well, would you take that home, the stool of the pig, and put it on an altar and offer Worship to that stool of the pig. He said, why not? He's angry when I'm saying Krishna is God, but he's willing to accept that, that the, the stool of a pig is God. So guess what birth he's going to take? Worm in stool? Worm in pig stool? This, this relativism, it's demoniac. It's denial that... There is an actual principle. There is a person behind the absolute, behind the principle. But they don't want to accept because if they do, then they they would have to submit their intelligence to that. They have, like I say, they've deified human intelligence. Human intelligence is supreme, but they're not very intelligent actually. We only accept what we, what we can understand through our own efforts. It's foolishness. How much can we understand? We're tiny living beings on a tiny little planet. Our whole lifespan is a blip in time. And we like to say, uh, we understand this, we understand, we understand all opinions are the same, especially my opinion. Uh, all all opinions are good, especially my opinion. So, and if you don't accept that all opinions, no, I don't accept all opinions. Then where they they say that, but actually you have to draw a line somewhere. All opinions are good. So Hitler was he had an opinion. It was a it wasn't a vague opinion. It was a clearly uh, clearly delineated opinion. So, no, 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 all opinions are good, but Hitler's opinion isn't good. So, you have to draw a line somewhere. There's no ultimate relativism. So, this relativism, Buddhism has become very popular in modern America because there's no, it's all shifting. There's no, there's nothing 
ultimately to commit to. Traditionally, Buddhist monks are very austere, but it's neo-Buddhism. That you do what you like, you think what you like, and you just feel spiritual. What is spiritualism? You just feel spiritual. That's all. And there's no, that way there's no difference between spiritualism and materialism, because it's all just, just if you feel it's spiritual, then it's spiritual. But spiritual means to act on the platform of spirit. The, the first thing that Lord Krishna teaches in Bhagavad Gita is the difference between spirit and matter. There is a difference. And there's a difference between spiritual activity and material activity. Spiritual activity doesn't mean to reject the world, but to reject the attempt to enjoy it, but rather to see that Ishavasyamidam, Sarvam, everything is under the control of God. So it is our duty to serve Him. But in relativism, there's no duty. There is if you feel like it, but that's not duty. Duty doesn't mean it's a duty as long as I feel like it. There's no responsibility. Responsibility means you have to be responsible in all circumstances. There's no, in the modern way of thinking, there's no duty. People don't like, <coughs> therefore they take vows. I will chant 16 rounds every day. And then afterwards, well, I don't feel like it. Because they have no sense of, of duty. You make a vow, you have to follow it. Of course, in the beginning of the lecture, I was saying that vows are adjustable. Of course, one has to understand the principle behind it. One duty can be superseded by a higher duty. But duty is there. That is called dharma. That, that which sustains. That which sustains our existence is our duty to the ultimate principle, who is God, Bhagavad, Krishna. So, his last Pope, John Paul II, he was, he was very much against relativism and Buddhism, and the present one even more so. So they understand the principle. That there, there must be an absolute principle. If you say everything is all the same, then there's no need of scripture. That's, an, that's another symptom given in here, in the description of the demoniac, that they don't accept any, any scriptural authority. The same thing. Kimanyat kama haitukam. What cause is there? What principle is there in the world but lust? If they say everything is relative, so everything just comes down to human desire. If, if it feels good, do it. Then there's no duty, there's no higher principle. <coughs> so the demons say, uh, what is that verse at the end of this 16th chapter? That uh, Ashastra. Shastra Vihitam Gora. No, that's another verse. Oh. Hmm? Ah, Shastra Vidimutsuchak. Bhatate Kamakarataha. Nasa Siddhimabhapati. Nasukamna Paramvati. That they don't accept any rules of scripture. Just do whatever you like, however you like. If you like, you can follow. If, you, if not, you don't. It's up to you. Everything's up to you. Freedom. But the, 
freedom should mean the freedom. There is freedom. There's the freedom to choose what is right and what is wrong. And if you, according to scripture, and if you don't follow what is right, then you're wrong. And there's a result for that. We see in this world everything. That is the study of science. That what is one a cause produces a result. What is the cause? They're looking for the cause. Why? Why does the sun shine? Why did the apple fall on Newton's head? He thought about it. And he said there's a cause. Gravity, the rotation of the earth, produces gravity. So it's to find out the cause. But they say there's, there's no ultimate cause to anything. There's no ultimate meaning to anything. There's no right or wrong. Ultimately, they say no right. If there's if there's no meaning, if there's no God, there's no spirit. Every just we're living and you die and there's no then the ultimate meaning to what is the meaning of life? Just enjoy yourself while you can. Eat, sleep, drink, be merry and enjoy. For tomorrow we shall all be dead. So this is materialism. To, to not accept any ultimate spiritual principle. But that is foolish. To, to not accept that there is a principle behind it. There's so much order, and it's all simply existing with no meaning, that we don't know the meaning, that is our lacking. But to say there is no meaning is foolishness and demoniac. So, what is the meaning? How can we find out? We can't find out by our own searching. Just like we can't find out by our own searching why the apple falls. Someone came before us and gave the reason for that. He could tell us. But to find the ultimate principle of the universe, well, actually Newton was, the latter part of Newton's life was spent in trying to show how Science points towards God. He was a committed theist. So, uh, yeah, to, to say that there is no ultimate principle, no right, no wrong, this is relativism. And actually, this I was saying earlier, Pol Pot, this, he, was, uh, he studied in university in Paris under Jean-Paul Sartre, who's who said, I, my teachings, which are all his teachings and his personal example. He's a typical university professor, enjoying all the young girl students. Maybe that's harsh on university professors, but especially in this you know, philosophy when they, they have all this avant-garde philosophy. So uh, he said, my teachings could be used in future to disastrous purposes. And just see, Maybe you don't hear so much about Pol Pot. You hear more about Hitler and Stalin because he killed, they killed Europeans and Pol Pot only killed Kampuchians. And who cares about Kampuchea? You see, if one American is killed in, by some terrorist in, in anywhere, it comes in the newspaper, big thing. And then in, in Africa, they're having mass genocides and it hardly, hardly took up this three lines in the newspaper. So... This is relativism. 
All men are equal, but Americans are more equal than others. We are better, because we, we have big universities where we teach all this nonsense. Everything is all the same. So this Krishna conscious movement is meant for establishing the absolute principle that everything, everything has a purpose. That ultimate purpose is Krishna, God. The Pope, well, we can congratulate, he's against relativism, but then they should have some decent theology also. Now this intelligent design theory is smashing evolutionary theory. But then you come back, the reason why all this relativism in science and in human thought came about was because of the dogmatism of the church in making statements that couldn't be uh, verified by empiric methods. The, the, the sun goes around the earth. He said, wait a minute. Looks like the earth goes around the sun. And so the, the, the dogmatism of the church was thrown out. So if we have to get back to intelligent design and throw out evolution uh, or chance, matter has come into being by chance, then we have to go back again to believing in, a, in the all-merciful God who, if you don't believe in him, throws you in hell forever. I mean, they, they're bringing up intelligent design theory, which is good, but their theology is very weak. Or the, the explanation of human suffering is, God, if God is all good, then why is there so much suffering in the world? Because long, long ago, the first woman ate an apple. So it's very... To say that it's weak theology is a, is a compliment. So, absolute principle is there, yes. But to understand God, we're going to require more theology than apple eating is the cause of all suffering. Or the all-merciful God throws you in hell forever. For any reason, if he's all merciful, then he should be able, he should give you another chance, as many chances as you need. And therefore, yes, reincarnation. You suffer, if you do something wrong, you suffer. But you get another chance, and another chance, and another chance, until you get it right. He's not so cruel that he'll punish you forever. So these are some thoughts on relativism and absolutism. That, that absolutism has caused so much chaos in human societies because people have believed absolutely in that which is not correct. So if, if humans are actually philosophical, they should find out that which is correct and believe in that. But their inability to find that which is correct has led them to believe that everything is correct, everything is good, or nothing is correct. There is no ultimate principle. So this Krishna conscious movement is not based on dogma, that this is the right path, and everything else is wrong. We can accept if there's something good in any line. And yes, we do say this is the best. But we don't, but not, ju not just because we say so. God has, if we accept there is God, and it's not very intelligent not to accept that there is God, then we should understand. He's given us intelligence, and He's given us 
books of knowledge which are to be understood through intelligence. Someone had an apple. <laughs> Life's tough. Hare Krishna. Is there any question about this, please? Question or comment or whatever. Of course, these are basic principles that those of you who are coming regularly, you might think, well, we already know this. I was introduced, I'm going to speak some Krishna Katha, so you might have thought I'm going to tell some stories or Krishna dancing, which is nice, but it's good to get our basics in order. We're surrounded all the time by the, the, by a fog of relativistic thinking, which impedes the clear understanding of Krishna consciousness. So, we should understand this. Empiricism means the idea that uh, we can believe in what we can perceive. What we, what we see, touch, smell, taste, feel and hear and to some extent the conclusions we draw from that that is empiricism. That is the basis of modern science. Pratyaksha in in Sanskrit, that's that's called knowledge received by sense perception. Yeah. How much can we? I just make another point about that. That this is uh, stated in the Vedic law. L O R E. And there's analysis of different methods of receiving knowledge, and it's it's. The epistemology of the Vedic epistemology, it's a vast study. And the, uh, the Vaishnav schools are the, or not only by all the, the scholars of Vedanta, which means Vaishnav and Mayavad, they accept Shabda, the, the authority of the Veda, all the Vedic schools. And so it's interesting, and, and, and you see Krishna is saying, Asatyam Apratishtamte. It's not new, all these theories that have come up. They're perennial theories that, that go on and on in human society throughout the ages, because the endeavor in the material world is to forget Krishna. But at the same time, we want to think that I'm good, I'm right. And so philosophy is actually philosophy, the etymological root of this word is the love of truth. But truth means Krishna. And if we don't want to love Krishna, then we have to present untruth as truth. So philosophy in the material world means love of all those theories which are actually untruth, but we like to accept it as truth because we like to be in the illusion of forgetting Krishna. So it's not a search for truth. It's a search to... Philosophy means a search to in, in the modern world, or, or, or not only in the modern world, throughout history. Philosophy means a search to try to give an understanding without understanding the absolute truth or the ultimate truth. 
So to to say that everything is relative or to accept as an absolute principle that which is not actually the absolute principle. Self-delusion, it's called cheating. Remember I said there are four defects of the conditioned soul. One of them is cheating, self-cheating. Is also there, deluding ourselves. Yeah. You kind of answered it already. I was just going to ask, how was it that even 5,000 years ago when Krishna was on the planet, people had these... It goes on forever, as long as we don't accept Krishna. Because we want to be cheated. We want to forget Krishna. So therefore we have an elaborate philosophical system, which seems right. We like to accept it as right. Give him some prasadam. No, he got hurt lately. Is it? Yeah, it's a brazen on his knee. Doctor. You're a practicing doctor. He's a he's a retired doctor. But he knows how to look after a brain. You'll never forget how to treat abrasions on knees because it's pretty simple. Two part question. One is about Sakracharya. You mentioned about Shankaracharya. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned about it that he is fond of Bhagavad Gita, but then he twisted it, telling that the Brahma Satya and Jaganmitya, yeah. world is Asatya or Mitya or Maya. Uh, what made him to do that? What and made Shankaracharya to do that? Well, he is Shankar. Shanka. Sham means auspiciousness. And kar means one who makes. So in a one who, one who makes auspiciousness. But this mayavad is mayavadam asat chastram. It's not sat. It's asat. It's inauspicious. It's wrong. It's bad. But he did that uh, on the order of Lord Narayana. That inauspicious philosophy was required to supplant the even more inauspicious philosophy of Buddhism, which is practically the same philosophy. But they don't, the Buddhists don't accept the Vedas. Whereas Shankaracharya speaks, it's uh, prachannam bodhamuchite, it's covered Buddhism. But he established, for bringing auspiciousness, some auspiciousness, in a more inauspicious situation, he re-established the value of the Vedas. And then later, Ramanujacharya and even more so Madhvacharya said, okay, you accept the Vedas, but that's not what the Vedas teach. And cut his theories to pieces. And so if you accept the Vedas, you have to accept Hari Sarvottama. Lord Hari is the supreme. Above all, So, he did it. It's a long purpose. There are various reasons also. Another reason is because it's Kali Yoga and people in this age, they're born in this age because they want to be simple. So, he gave a philosophy which facilitates that. Although the followers of... If you're strictly following, then you have to be very austere. But what happens is that because there's no ultimate principle, then then why bother to follow anything? Then... 
Kimanyat kama haitukam. What else is there but lust? So let us just enjoy ourselves. The modern idea is that there's no ultimate duty. Whatever feels good, do it. As long, that's why I say, homosexuality is good. Why not? It doesn't do any harm. If, 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 if having sex with other people's wives, there's no harm. If, if, if they're agreeing and it makes you happy, then no harm. Because our own personal sense enjoyment is put at the highest level because they don't know anything higher. There's no ultimate principle. So, my own happiness, that's the ultimate principle. I, you know, I'm married for 30 years. I have four or five kids, but I don't like my wife anymore. She's old and ugly. So, get in, you know, throw her out, get a new one. What does it matter? No ultimate principle. So, it's to increase the sinfulness of... This theory actually increases the sinfulness of Kali Yoga. It facilitates that. Okay, what's the second part of the question? Second is the Ramakrishna mission. A lot of followers on that, and you said... Uh, well, what is there to follow? If you say Jyotamak Tatopat... Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm just, yeah, if it, all paths are the same, yeah. then what is there to follow? The question is... Whatever you do, according to them, everyone's their follower. No, but the mass of people... According to the Ramakrishna mission, everyone's their follower, because... All the paths are the same, and Ram Krishna said it. But we don't say that; we kick in their face. It's rascaldom. Jotomak totopak. All the paths are the same. Then Krishna says he doesn't say that. Lord Krishna says sarvadhaman paritya Just the opposite of what Ram Krishna says. So he's opposite of what Krishna says, and he worships Kali. And Lord Krishna says. Anyone who worships all different gods, their intelligence is spoiled. So according to Bhagavad Gita, his intelligence is spoiled. So we don't accept his rascal theories. To demonstrate all paths are the same, for some time he followed Christianity and Islam, and he ate beef, because, you know, good, is, good Muslims should eat beef. And he's coming from a Brahmin family. So, we don't accept. He's, he's caused so much chaos in the spiritual life. Him and his chala, Vivekheen Swami, another rascal, with his Daridra Narayan. He wants to he wants to convert Lakshmi Narayan to Daridra Narayan. Simply rascal them. Narayan means all opulent and he wants to make him into a poor man. The poor man is God. Then I'm more than God because I'm not poor. We shall feed the poor man and this way we shall serve God. Then I'm more than God. So we don't accept all this. Simply cheating. There is right and there is wrong. Relativism is another relativist. In relativism, there's no, there's no fixed right or wrong. That may be true on the material platform to some extent. I, I gave that story of the, the man who should have told a lie and didn't. But that, that, there is an ultimate principle. Why do we even feel there's right or wrong? If, if we're simply products of matter, 
if ultimately there's no difference between me and a microphone that's made out of chemicals and I am made out of chemicals, then where does the sense of right and wrong come from? Well, how do you deal with, with, with such people who think this way? Who think like this? Well, you can. that's why we're discussing. You can discuss like this. But they're very tricky because they... Uh, if you can go through all the arguments and when they have nothing left to say, they'll say, well, it's all words. And why are you talking? So I've had this experience so many times. You take people logically, step by step, point by point, and when, when their theories are totally defeated, then they say, well, anyway, it's all words. Then why are you, dis- why are you talking so much? If it's all words, then why did, why, are you, why did you talk with me at all? If words have no... They say, ultimately, words have no meaning. Then again, you just said words have no meaning. Did your words have any meaning? Then why are you talking? Why talk at all? Just shut up. When your words have no meaning, but my words have meaning, because my words are connected to the words given by Lord Krishna, who is the ultimate meaning. The thing is that you can't you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can't, if someone insists on keeping, keeping their eyes closed, then you can't tell them, you can't show them the light. If, if someone insists on closing his eyes, and, or, or just like in the room, someone has the curtain closed, and they say, come on, it's time to get up, it's time for work, time to go to work. And he says, no, it's still dark. It's only dark because the curtain's closed. But he wants to pretend it's still time to sleep because he doesn't want to go to work. So he can pretend, but you know, he loses his paycheck for that day because he slept. Or he may get thrown out of the job altogether. He can pretend it's still time to sleep, but it isn't. So it's self-delusion. This Richard... Dawkins, he, he, what did he call that? The, the gene? What's gene? He wrote a book called the... I can't remember exactly. So his theory is that we say, the theists say, that belief in God is an... that it is a natural propensity in all cultures suggests that there is God. Communism in... in in the USSR, they attempted to quash belief in theism. But it never, after several generations, it should have been just completely quashed. And there should have, if, if atheism is rational and intelligent, then after several generations of teaching it in Soviet schools, there shouldn't have been any vestiges of theism left. But actually the Russian people are very much theistically inclined. Russian and other parts of the Soviet areas. There was, tr- there was tremendous interest in, in various churches and theistic doctrines as soon as Glasnost came in. I mean, it was, that means it was there. So it should have just gone out. But Richard Dawkins, a... Modern scientist, what's that called? The something I can't remember. But his theory is that it's a rogue gene that entered the human 
makeup at some t- point early in uh, in evolution in evolutionary development and some people have this gene which makes you believe in god and it's it's actually an an aberrant gene and uh, he hasn't defined the gene where it is which gene it is how it acts is just his imagination we could say there's a gene in his system you could just as easily say there's a gene which makes you an atheist so but but the fact that people everywhere there's a tendency to believe in a higher being suggests that there is one and that some of the most intelligent and principled persons in history they've been staunch theists also suggest that it's not unintelligent to believe in god in fact the the uh in the, in the indian ethos the so much discussion at such a level on the philosophy of god most people nowadays can't believe, even begin to follow it if we talk about we talk about shankaracharya how how madhvacharya and, Shank- and ramanujacharya how they defeated shankaracharya and the the level of their discussion it's most people can't even begin to follow it you have to learn sanskrit first of all to even enter into it and that re- sanskrit language requires much intelligence to even enter into anthropologists say that you can understand that the level of development of a culture by the level of development of its language so sanskrit is by far the most complex language in the world it's not unnecessary it's actually very straight its complexity is necessitated by the level of knowledge that it discusses although actually it's very scientific language it's the language which is most suited to computer applications because it's so systematic but that didn't that's not a new that's not a, a language that's developed in recent years that's the most ancient language known in the world and because they because they want to deny that that's the original language then they have invented the pro- linguists have invented a proto-indo-european language which they have no evidence what's of whatsoever just based on their linguistic theories they say sanskrit and all other languages developed from that hari krishna anything else yeah mr philosopher you're only a what sophomore is it you took a year off okay don't take a year off from philosophy take your whole life off from that kind of philosophy but real philosophy we should live with it every moment philosophy is not something for the classroom real philosophy is to be lived with philosophy is something to live by it's not just some kind of theory yeah so what have you got to say Yeah. We try to explain everything, the complexity of the universe 
in as simple terms as possible. But they've, they've been, the last almost hundred years, they've been running around chasing their tails. <laughs> with quantum theory, not, which doesn't coalesce with, it, it doesn't harmonize with relativity theory and all the implications of it, they still haven't come to terms with it. It's not, it resists simplification by its very nature. Yeah, then? Oh, yeah, well, actually, we, we have no problem with that. What's that, Occam's razor? That the, the, the best explanation is that which is the most simple, clear and direct. So we have no problem. But why don't... The, the, the most simple, clear and direct uh, theory of the existence of everything, and you can fit all scientific discoveries into it, is that there is a supreme controller and designer who willed this into existence. It's the best theory. You won't find, you won't find any scientific theory that, that defies that. It all fits in there. But they don't want to accept because they're demons. What can we say? It's the great. It's the greatest theory. It's the, it's the 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 one theory that everything fits into. But one thing is that God, you, he can't be defined simply by mathematics. They have presupposed that everything should be explainable by mathematics. Why? Why should this? Why should the smell of a rose be explained by mathematics? Why should the pleasure we find in that be explained by mathematics? It's it's just a it's an unreasonable presupposition, that's all. So modern science actually Yeah, Pumblebee shouldn't be able to fly, according to aeronautical theory. And you see in India some of those flies that they shouldn't look like they fly, and they, it looks like they have difficulty. You know? They have little spindly wings and big log body. Those ones that come out in the rainy season. Well, they, they, their whole body looks so uh, clumsy. Somehow they're flying. Doesn't look like a chicken should fly either. They don't fly much. They'd do a lot better if they did. They could fly away. <laughs> from their prisons where they're tortured so people can eat them. So you can go to the you can go to the church on Sunday and as we were driving yesterday I said everyone welcome. Sunday traditional family style chicken and ham meal on Sundays. Poor chickens, poor pigs.